Hey there, global listeners. If you're loving the insights we're bringing you on This Week Explained, it's time to turn this into a movement. How? Easy. Share the wisdom. Tell your friends, family, and colleagues about us. Let's make geopolitics a dinner table conversation around the world. Also, subscribe wherever you listen. Be the first to get the scoop on our latest episodes. The more subscribers we have, the louder our voice in the world of geopolitics. As well, please rate and review. Your opinion does matter to us. It's not just feedback. It's the fuel that propels us to the top, helping others discover our global community. This is not just a podcast. It's a movement. Subscribe, share, rate, and review, because together we're rewriting the narrative of global affairs. Finally, keep those ears tuned in. We've got more amazing episodes coming your way every Friday on This Week Explained. Stay informed, stay involved, and stay safe out there. My bulky blender was such a pain to use, I ended up hardly ever using it at all. But the Blendjet 2 Portable Blender makes blending so easy and convenient, I use it just about every day. Blendjet 2 is portable, so you can blend up a smoothie at work, a protein shake at the gym, or even a margarita on the beach. It's small enough to fit in a cup holder, but powerful enough to blast through tough ingredients like ice and frozen fruit with ease. Blendjet 2 is whisper quiet, so you can make your morning smoothie without waking up the whole house. It lasts for 15 plus blends and recharges quickly via a USB-C cord. Best of all, Blendjet 2 cleans itself. Just blend water with a drop of soap and you're good to go. With over 30 plus colors and patterns to choose from, there's a Blendjet 2 to complement just about any style. I absolutely love the Lisa Frank edition. What are you waiting for? Go to Blendjet.com and grab yours today. And be sure to use the promo code ANALYTICS12 to get 12% off your order and free two-day shipping. No other portable blender on the market comes close to the quality, power, and innovation of Blendjet 2. They guarantee you'll love it or your money back. Blend anytime, anywhere with the Blendjet 2 Portable Blender. Go to Blendjet.com and use the code ANALYTICS12 to get 12% off your order and free two-day shipping. Shop today and get the best deal ever. You are now listening to This Week Explained. Welcome to This Week Explained, the independent geopolitical podcast that tackles all the major global events. We're glad you're here as we bring you all the insights and analysis on what's happening around the world. As always, I'm Tiana with Carvin as my co-host. Together, we'll help you understand the complexities of our dynamic, ever-changing world. We are back from our little tour of Las Vegas, Nevada for the Military Influencers Conference. Sorry about that. We won't bore you with the details right now, but if you stick with us to the end of this episode, we'll get into what happened in the conference and all the great people that we were. But for now, let's get on to what's on the agenda for this week, Kervin. All right. We're going to start off like no one else does. Russia, Ukraine. do that and then we'll get into israel hamas so those are the two big conflicts right so that's why i put them at the top those are the first two things but also there's a new report this from the washington post about the nord stream pipeline sabotage so have we gotten closer to figuring out what entity was involved in sabotaging that pipeline 
Right. Um, once we're done with that, I'm sure everybody knows what we're going to be talking about. The big meeting between the leaders of the two biggest superpowers on Earth. Uh, it's Biden and Xi met in San Francisco. Uh, we've got a lot of the details. I try to get through all of it. Understand there's going to be more as we move on uh, throughout the week. Uh, to end it out, there's a new report on how China is using online disinformation to harass Americans. You know, not harass just Chinese American harass them or like <laughs> kind of get them to see their side. This is harassment of Americans, but we'll also talk about how China's using online disinformation to get people to come over to their side. Right. Okay. Well, let's jump right in with an update on the Russia. Russia. <laughs> the Russia. Russia's on the Russia's war in. Yeah, uh, a little bit of my fault on that one. <laughs> Trying to push that out there. Um, I almost said the Ohio State. Yeah. It's a lot. The Ohio State University is a lot like Russia. No, I'm just kidding. Oh, we no. love, we yeah, love the Ohio State back. University. Yeah. Um, no. So let's see. Okay. So according to the latest reports, uh, Russian forces launched a large scale missile and drone strike against Ukraine and that targeted Kiev. That was the first time they've targeted Kiev for almost two months now. Now, Ukrainian air defenses downed 19 Shahid drones, and that was primarily primarily targeting frontline areas, so targeting the military, not targeting civilians. They also used a Patriot air defense system to destroy ballistic missiles that did target civilian locations in Kiev. Now, on the ground, Russian forces have recently made confirmed advances near Avdivka. With the global focus on the war between Israel and Hamas and the subsequent humanitarian crisis in Gaza, has there been any calls to end the fighting in Ukraine? Uh, uh, honestly, yeah, there has been some private conversations between the West and Ukraine about a peace deal. These talks indicate a shift in the dynamics of the conflict. Uh, U.S. and European officials are acknowledging the challenges on the ground and honestly politically. That signals a, a possible recognition that what's going on in Russia and Ukraine is a military stalemate. I mean, I want to highlight that term stalemate. Um, some U.S. military officials are using that term privately. Um, what does that mean in practical terms and why are they concerned? Right. Thanks for framing that question that way. Um, now, we all, I think all of our listeners know what a stalemate means. It suggests that neither side's making substantial progress on the battlefield. I know we said mm -hmm. that Russian forces are advancing in Evdivka, but no one's really making substantial gains. Um, with concerns about Ukraine running out of forces and the ability to sustain aid from the U.S. and other Western countries, officials are facing yeah. the idea that the conflict may come down to which side can maintain a military force the longest. So if that is indeed the case, right now, Russia has the upper hand in that. That has to be so heartbreaking for Ukrainians who didn't yeah. want this conflict to begin with. And now seeing all of you know the Western aid be diverted towards Gaza, which honestly, there's a need there that yeah. needs to happen. But I mean, they're like, we're still here too, guys. But it's just... There's still a humanitarian crisis going on in Ukraine. That is yeah. a fact. Yeah. So... <sighs> U.S. President Biden seems focused on Ukraine's manpower as well, right? So yep. how critical is this issue, and what is the current status of aid from the U.S.? 
All right. Yeah, certainly manpower is at the top of the administration's concerns. Uh, Russia obviously has a much bigger military in sheer manpower. They spend more on military. But Ukraine's kind of been able to stay within the fight due to that U.S. aid because they've now been able to have more advanced weaponry, but yeah. not continue the manpower that, that is needed. So while the U.S. can provide that weaponry, uh, the effectiveness depends on competent forces. Ukraine's going to need those forces. So Biden's uh, request for additional funding right now, honestly, it faces hurdles in Congress. Congress is more right. worried about Israel-Hamas. Um and there's uh, right now there's approximately five billion dollars left for aid for Ukraine before those funds run out completely. Due to the focus on the Israel-Hamas conflict, public support for aid to Ukraine is slipping. That's unfortunately one of the repercussions of having another huge conflict occur. Um, that's not just me saying this. There's recent polls that are suggesting a significant drop in support. So how does this impact the geopolitical landscape? Yeah, well, there's a reason that these countries run you know, PR and information operation campaigns. Public sentiment is crucial. And so the decrease in support makes securing additional aid very challenging. And that's just not, a, it's not just a U.S. issue. So I'd argue Europe has more to fear of an emboldened Russia. There's a lot more national security for European countries. Um, there should be more talk about how NATO, not the, just the U.S., but how NATO could offer more security guarantees to Ukraine. And that would actually incentivize Ukraine to come to the table for negotiations. Well, speaking of negotiations, are there any indications that Putin might be ready for talks? No, not at the moment. Uh, Putin seems to believe that he can outlast the West or at least make the conflict so costly for the U.S. and its allies that it benefits Russia. U.S. officials are anticipating uh, Russia targeting critical infrastructure in Ukraine again, and that's going to be this winter, shutting down you know things that can warm people up. Um, that's going to add more pressure to continue funding Ukraine. However, there's also a growing sense globally that it might be time. Now is the time for Ukraine to go to the table and consider those negotiations. I like how now all of a sudden they're like, okay, no, we don't want to. Yeah, you talking anymore. about Ukraine doesn't want to go to, to no. The I'm saying like no, just the world stage since it's focused on the other conflict that's going on. They're all of a sudden like, yeah, maybe y'all should just like stop now. Yeah, we're not good at multitasking. Um, <laughs> well, anyways, I'm sure there will be more on that next week. So let's get into the latest from the conflict between Israel and Hamas. So what is the latest on the ground? Yeah, so Israel's continuing their ground offensive into Gaza, they say, to root out Hamas militant. Now that led the IDF to Al-Shifa Hospital this week. Um, Israeli mm -hmm. forces claim that Hamas is using tunnels beneath that Al-Shifa hospital for its operations. The situation there escalated with a siege, um, and, and now Israeli troops have entered that hospital. They say they have, uh, and they've shown videos and pictures of this to CNN and Reuters and Associated Press journalists who are embedded, that they discovered weapons and a terror infrastructure underneath that hospital. So what's the significance of this operation? So yeah, the operation, despite Israeli claims of uncovering Hamas infrastructure, 
the, this operation has raised concerns, and and it's raised concerns, rightfully so, about the fate of trapped civilians in patience. I'm already in- crying, so. Well, and the entire global community is with you, and everyone is watching. And that's especially with, you know, reports of patients, including newborns, who are dying due to this encirclement of the hospital. So how does this claim hold up in your analysis? Well, like I said, recently embedded journalists with CNN and the Associated Press have reported that the IDF did show them the tunnels and the terror infrastructure. So the video evidence should be pretty damning. You know, if you have a a photo or a video of it, even in today's society where we can kind of use AI to to come up with that stuff, um, when you're on the ground and you show a, a photo that you just took, that's pretty damning evidence. But let's put both sides of this. Hamas has called all of it. So this entire report, which was done by CNN, they call it right. propaganda. I said that the pieces of infrastructure, actually civilian communication and electronic devices that, that they have pulled up, um, they, they kind of didn't mention anything about their PR director who said that those tunnels are not for civilian use and we're not here to protect civilians. We're here right. to defeat Israel. But Israel maintains its position. They say this is supported by its intelligence and they assert that that hospital, Al-Shifa Hospital, is central to Hamas operations. Okay, we'll stop killing civilians too. So there's that. I will say, I will also say that there are reports that when they did go into the hospital, mm-hmm. there was no violence between the IDF and the civilians within the hospital. That's because Is- they had nothing to do with it. Right. Well, I'm just, I'm saying, because we've asked Israel to stop killing civilians. Yeah. They've also offered up that they will take on those civilians they will treat the civilians medically okay as long as they can completely annihilate hamas okay well okay but they shouldn't have taken them killing 10,000 civilians before that for them to reach this conclusion only the so. most heartless person would disagree with you <laughs> okay so uh, all right i'm trying to like push it in my my Ugh, I can't even talk right now. The issue of a potential ceasefire is on the table, though. So what is the current stance there? So Israel rejected those calls. They said it would benefit Hamas. And here's the way that Israel sees it. There cannot be a ceasefire while Hamas still holds hostages. If we're going to be, if if we are going to be consistent Right. I think that the humanitarian crisis on both sides should be dealt with. Right. Hamas, if, I agree if with you that. want the ceasefire, let go of the hostages, return all of the hostages. The problem is there has been some video evidence that Hamas has now killed some of the hostages. And if I thought that they already comes did light, kill some. Are you no, talk, I mean, they, talking about hostages since, since yeah, the since, initial? Yep. The initial attack? Okay. So within Al-Shifa Hospital, Israel has said that they have found a laptop and it has shown that hostages were held there and that Ugh. some of the hostages were killed by Hamas. If that is in fact proven, I don't see a Israel ceasefire happening. having right. a ceasefire. That's going to enrage right. Hamas even more. I mean, Israel even more. Right. Now, 
both sides of it. Israel has implemented four-hour pauses to get civilians through that safety corridor and away from the, the heavy fighting. And honestly, from a practical sense, if you're talking about from a military sense, a ceasefire without the release of the hostages, that's a win for Hamas. If they can, if they can get that agreed to, they have won. They've won the IO campaign, Which and they've basically won this not, war. And that's also not okay. No. Like, okay. So is Israel only out to get the hostages back, or is there more to this conflict than that? Listen, I think the Israeli government considers what Hamas did on October 7th, and I'm seeing a lot of people talk about this without mentioning what Hamas did on October 7th. Right. That is that is gruesome. It's just right. as gruesome as anything that, that Israel's doing, and it makes uh, none of it true. Mm, I'm not true. Sorry. It makes none of it right. Right. There you go. But they consider that an act of war. It was an act of war. I so if it's an act of that. war, but that doesn't mean you can go and just start killing blindly, just hoping you hit a couple like terrorists. Yeah, and and like I've been saying to a lot of people, we are coming at this from a Western perspective. Yeah, that's so we're trying true. to to fix a Middle East crisis through a Western perspective. That's true. And you can't do that. I mean, we can. We could talk about it all all day long, but. We're not on the ground in Gaza. We right. we don't know we don't know personally the effects that are going on. And mm-hmm. so that's why I say, like, we can talk all day about, yeah, honestly, Israel is wrong in what they did initially when they just started bombing civilian infrastructure and then saying, Well, Hamas is here lives there. Yeah. And and, and is you know, Hamas was wrong to invade they invaded israel if you don't consider yeah. hamas a terrorist organization and you consider it the the military wing of gaza which m- the majority of countries do that's an invasion of a sovereign state okay and so that sovereign state has a right to protect itself but from a western viewpoint they do not have a right to kill civilians indiscriminately to kill one to two to a dozen hamas fighters right so I I just don't I there's no answer to this from <laughs> how we're going to talk about it and we're yeah. not here you and I are not here to answer these questions like, right we know we don't maker. we know we we know that we know less than nothing about what's going on over there yeah now my hope would be that listen I'll I'll put my opinion out there I don't think it's going to be controversial Hamas should no longer exist it is a terror organization go. Go back to October 7th, where they wore GoPros and showed themselves parading women naked through the streets and then chopping their heads off. Posting them, like, attacking grandmas in their house. And then that posting, is that a, on, uh, paste, posting it on the grandmother's actual Facebook page. Right. That is a terrorist act. That's gross, and that for sure. that terrorist act needs to be dealt with. Right. The pe- so, yeah, the people who started this, they definitely need to face consequences. That's why I I hope Hamas no longer exists as a terror organization. Listen, Hamas hasn't done anything for the people of Gaza. They really haven't. So Hamas, the Hamas leaders, do you know where the Hamas leaders live right now? Iran? <laughs> no, they don't they don't live in Iran. They don't live in Gaza. Well, that's why I said I didn't want to say Gaza because yeah. I knew they weren't there. <laughs> I knew they weren't in Gaza. They so just, they live you know. in Qatar. There's a recent report that they are worth $17 billion dollars. 
The various leaders of Hamas are worth in the billions of dollars. So that's why they're shielding them there? Yep, and they are using that money to fund the war against Israel. They are not there supporting the people of Gaza. Right. Israel is also not there supporting the people of Gaza. Right. So I want, this is just me, just my opinion. Everybody can disagree with it. I don't care. I want the people of Gaza to elect a new government that is going to support their needs. Well, first of all, their government has to hold an election, an open election, and And, that hasn't happened since 2008 or something. You know why? The Palestinian government does not hold an election. We've already had this conversation. We know they want Hamas is going to win. Yeah. Well, an organization that does nothing for the people of Gaza. Wait, you said they're not holding any. They're not holding any elections because Hamas is automatically going to. Hold on. Let me finish my question. Okay. So they're not holding any elections because Hamas would automatically win. So is that really it? Yes, Mahmoud Abbas, who is the the leader of Palestine, right? Right. Palestine as a whole. He's the president of Palestine, the leader of Palestine. He has canceled election before all of this happened. So he didn't cancel it recently. This happened, you know, years ago and actually 2021, I think an election was supposed to be hold, held and he canceled it because public support for Hamas was in 70% range. And he said, well, Hamas is going to win. This is a dictatorship. What I'm saying is a dictatorship. Maybe they should, like, they should give people other options, though. Like, that's why Hamas is going to, the only thing they know they can vote for is Hamas. So let's let's talk about it from a U.S. perspective. How many options did we have? Oh, God, we have, like, (laughs) 12 more things to get through. <laughs> I know. Real quickly, though, how many options okay. did we have in the 2020 election? Ugh. We had four options, right? Four the options? Joe Biden, Joe Biden, Democratic presidential nominee, okay. won the election. President right. Trump, or who was pres- the incumbent president at the time. Right. Um, please don't anybody clip that as me saying that Trump is still president. I know he's not still president. <laughs> at the time, he was. That was the second choice. Right. Right. We had another Joe from the Libertarian Party running for president. Yeah. And then we had a a candidate from the Green Party. That's four. Right. The options are out there. The problem is we focus on two factions. And this is globally two party, two party system. Exactly. So the other options are out there. Um, when, When we try to pull at those emotions, we we lose those other candidates who are more moderate candidates who are actually looking to fix things because we want somebody who is, is more towards our emotional feelings. And that was, was Biden and Trump. We, we had that whole issue here and that we is were Joe we, Jorgensen. Yes. We, I mean, uh, not to put out who we voted for, but our vote didn't even count because. Yeah. Yeah. That's another thing that sucks is our ballots weren't even counted. Like we, and we know for in, sure. We know for sure they were not counted. There was some hinky things going on with it. I'm not implying anything. No, 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 no. But it probably got well, how lost. How do we know? We mailed it out because everybody was mailing their right. ballots, and we said we also had. We were also caring for a very sick person and yeah. couldn't make it to to the, the polls. polls. So we mailed it out, 
and within we're in the we're in the state of Virginia, and within the state of Virginia, when you mail your ballot out, they scan it and they update you on where your ballot is, and you can check. Yeah. And our ballot made it to the mailbox, scanned by the USPS, and it stopped. Yeah. So it was never counted. Which is so I have no problem BS. saying who we voted for. Yeah, exactly. It was BS. Not that it would have helped anything, I guess, but, but we, just we, just, didn't, we just didn't want to vote for the other two. Sorry, guys. Sorry, guys. Yeah, sorry. Not sorry. Sorry, um, not sorry. Look at but how what great I would hope are. is Gazans can elect a new government that's going to support their needs. Mm-hmm. And oh, hey, by the way, why don't... Why, why don't we try to work with Israel to establish a mutually beneficial community for all people? Well, do you have any thoughts on which side is winning? Like, which feels, it feels like super dirty to say, because honestly, does anyone win no. in a situation like this? That Like, that, that, like, that's definitely an oversimplification. Maybe I should rephrase it as which side has the upper hand so far in this conflict? Yeah, there's no winners. I'm going to agree with you there. There are no winners within Gaza, and that's what we should be focused on is the people of Gaza. Uh, I'm about to start crying again. I know. We're done, we're done with that. Cause no, 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 no. The we're sheer not humanitarian we're not crisis done. is a loss for the— in- I'm s- I'm not done crying. Are you kidding me? I will cry forever. On this podcast, you are done. No, I'm just kidding. I don't I don't tell you when you are done or not. I also, yeah, in public, don't tell you to calm down, but that's a different thing. <laughs> hey, guys, if you're listening, don't tell a woman to calm down. Don't tell your wife to calm down. I know from experience. <laughs> but listen, you, uh, you asked who's winning. Someone who is winning. Who has the upper hand? Who is the upper no, hand? No, I can tell you who's winning. Okay. The, the real winner is Iran. Ugh. This played out beautifully for them. So we're all bickering back and forth about what Israel's doing or what Hamas is doing. Right. Very little talk about how Iran's basically using pro- proxy voice, proxy forces. Listen, I'm getting fired up too, and I can't. But they're using proxy forces in Yemen, Lebanon, and, I mean, obviously, Palestine to attack Israel. Oh, by the way, the U.S. just opened up 10 billion more dollars for iran to use for are you quote unquote humanitarian yes so what so let me real quickly talk about that i hate this place (laughs) so this is all based off of um i thought they were putting a hold on that other six billion that they released to them and said it has to be has to go towards humanitarian issues and then iran came out and said we can use it for what we want to use it for and and think about it like this um i think Oh, not to plug someone else. Name dropping here. Uh, Mike Baker had a very good statement about this. It's like if somebody gave you money, let's say they gave you $100, but you could only use it at Burger King for Whoppers. I'd be fine with that. Yeah, you would use I the $100. Whoppers. But you would you would then have $100 that you would usually use for Whoppers. To spend on other things. And so that's what Hiran, that's Hiran, Hiran, Hiran is doing is, well, yeah, we'll use it for human- humanitarian purposes. Six billion dollars. Humanitarian purposes. Well, so what were we going to use six billion dollars for humanitarian purposes originally? We can now use that to fund, you know, nuclear advancements, things of that nature. What is going so, on in our country, man? So here's what it, happened. How um, is it this? Ugh. The All U.S. Right. has put sanctions on Iraqi money 
that has been sent to pay Iran for fuel, oil, things like that, things of that nature, to the count mm-hmm. of $10 billion. They've opened that up to Iran for humanitarian purposes. Well, that just gives Iran $10 billion from the other funds to use for nuclear development. Now, all of this is getting the U.S. involved because they're providing equipment and money to Israel. That's depleting U.S. resources at a time when the U.S., I believe, should be stockpiling these resources because we're getting up to a war to protect Taiwan. Thank you. Thank you. Right. Gearing up for a war to protect Taiwan. Uh, Well... Before we get to China, and there is a lot to talk about on that subject, what can you tell us about the latest report from the Washington Post about the Nord Stream sabotage from a year ago? Sorry, this is kind of an abrupt ending yeah. to the last subject. I'm just yeah, and so and like I'm we said from the beginning, crying. like we said from the beginning, right? I want to highlight the two the two major conflicts that are going on first, regardless of region. I do like to fit everything into the region because when you talk about things, you need to talk about it from a regional perspective. And that's what we try to do here. Uh, So yeah, this is going to seem like a bit of a 180 from us, but I think this report is fascinating, first of all. I think it needs to be be talked about. Then talk Um, about it. All right, so a reminder, the Nord Stream Pipeline, it's a vital piece of infrastructure, uh, basically moves oil through Europe from Russian sources. So September of last year, it was attacked. We all know that. Um, And then all sides were pointing fingers at each other, right? Mm -hmm. Russia said it was Ukraine. The U.S. said it was Russia. Seymour Hersh said it was the CIA. Didn't some people say it was like Sweden or Norway or something? No, Sweden said that they had had information that it might have been Ukraine. And then that kind of got... It couldn't have been Ukraine because we support Ukraine. I knew I knew one of the Scandinavian countries put their hat in the ring for right, yeah. <laughs> who they thought. Okay. And and I would say those are, are more of a neutral um commentary. If you look at Sweden, I I know Sweden's I know, not pro Russia. I, I wasn't trying to say one thing or the other. No, no, I just no. remember one of the Scandinavian countries saying, We think this person did it or they did it, or I couldn't remember. I d- I couldn't remember their tie to it. Yeah. I knew they were involved or they mentioned it. Yeah, so a little, you know, uh, just to reiterate that the the first report, right, blamed Russia. There was a subsequent report by that by Seymour Hersh, a freelance journalist, and he put the blame on the CIA in tandem with Ukraine. And now the Washington Post has put the blame on a, a sort of Ukrainian s- special forces or high-ranking intelligence officer without the knowledge of the Ukrainian government. Just, that's basically a way for the Washington Post to say, you know, we all know Washington Post supports Ukraine in in this conflict, and they're not going to put anything out there that dissuades that support. So they say, we support Ukraine. It wasn't them. This was a rogue mission. So now we can put that report out. And that leaves me very skeptical about the report, since they had to make that delineation. Well, let's not get into your purpose. Even though we've had our personal opinions beat yeah. into this several times. I hope you guys have stayed with us to, yeah. to get back to you. I mean, if you haven't, that's okay. We're not for everybody. We get it. But anyways, um, 
what let's not talk about how our personal opinions and about how the media frames their reports. Yeah. What can you tell us about the report and who was involved? And then I'm sure everyone wants to know where it falls on your scale of probability. Sure, but I just want everybody to understand that the opinion of how the story is framed is going to be the basis for my probability score. Okay, that's fine, but right now we should definitely just get into what was reported. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Thank you for keeping me on topic. That's why I always I, tell you you are an terrible, important... We're doing a terrible job today, let's be honest. <laughs> well, it's a very, you know, the, the first... Emotionally two, charged. Emotionally charged, yes. And sometimes emotion can can come out, and that's perfectly fine. Um, I said it on the recent podcast I was on. Oh, my opinions God. Opinions matter. No, I'm just saying opinions, your opinion, <sighs> your individual opinion does matter. Don't okay. let people tell you that that's just your opinion and it doesn't matter. Okay. So, well, the Washington Post report. This is an exclusive story to just the Washington Post. And it said that a senior Ukrainian military officer, Roman Travinsky, is alleged to have played a key role in the bombing of the Nord Stream pipelines last year. This is the bombing that caused massive leaks, disrupted all of Europe's in energy infrastructure. Well, what do you know about Travinsky? He's a decorated colonel. He's got ties to Ukraine's intelligence services. Washington Post says he reportedly coordinated logistics um, for a team that planted explosive charges on the pipelines using a sailboat under false identities. Now, it's crucial to note that he didn't act alone. He received orders from higher-ranking Ukrainian officials. Uh, they, Washington Post says he ultimately reported to General Valery Zolosny. Uh, that's the highest-ranking military officer in Ukraine. Dravinsky. He's currently he's actually currently held on charges unrelated to the Nord Stream pipeline. Oh wow. And he denies any role in the pipeline attack. We want to put both sides of the story on there. He's denied it. Of course he would. His alleged participation though highlights the tensions within Ukraine's wartime government. So this is where the intelligence and military establishment operates somewhat independently from that political leadership within Zelensky. Well, can you elaborate on his background? Sure, he's been involved in, in various covert operations. These are things we know. So we talk about known knowns, facts on the ground. Um, he's being charged for luring Russian fighters into Belarus and planning actions against pro-Russian separatist leaders. Um, he's also lured in witnesses in the downing of uh, MH17, the flight that we suspect Russia destroyed a civilian flight. Mm -hmm. His arrest and current legal situation are linked to actually a plot to lure those Russians. It's a Russian pilot to defect uh, with allegations of unauthorized actions. These are unauthorized actions by uh, um, by Chervinsky that led to an actual Russian rocket attack on Ukraine. Now, a lot of times when you investigate these topics, you look at it from a perspective of who has the most to gain from this event. So what are your thoughts on who gained the most from the Nord Stream sabotage? Yeah, well, uh, Ukraine has uh, a, compli a long complicated history with Nord Stream. They've long complained that the Nord Stream pipeline allows Russia to bypass its pipes, Ukraine's pipes, depriving Kiev of significant, um, significant transit revenue. Others within Ukraine argue that the attack prevented Russia from 
profiting from natural gas sales. It curtailed Putin's potential political leverage. So that all points to Ukraine, right? So Ukraine would have the most. But during the time frame, there was plenty of talk from Russia about no longer supplying fuel to Europe during the winter months, right? They wanted to, to chill out Europe making it a long, miserable, cold winter for European citizens. So that's how Russia would benefit if they could clandestinely destroy the Nord Pipeline. And so they say, well, we didn't try to take away the natural gas from you. It was blown up. Now, as for the CIA, well, there's always, they always seem to be covertly meddling in global affairs, right? (laughs) We know that. Come on. Yeah. Uh, So this is right up their alley. Then let's get into your actual opinion. With everything you know about the event, who do you think carried out this sabotage? Uh, let's put it on into the, uh, can I coin this as a phrase? The scale of pa- plausibility. I don't know. I'll, I'll work on that. Each scenario fits on the possible scale in my analysis. So it isn't un, it is not unlikely that any of these entities carried out the attack. But I I can't point a definitive finger at any of them. So what's interesting is that the report from the Washington Post, the details in that sound very similar to the one that the CIA allegedly carried out, according to Seymour Hirsch. So that lends some credibility. So now we have multiple sources saying the same thing. What I'm saying is that divers went to the bottom charge put charges on the pipeline and blew it up similar in washington post and similar in seymour hirsch's allegation and that, we kind of made we did kind of make fun of seymour hirsch yeah initially so i want to say sorry <laughs> yeah if it because t- it seems like it's kind of leaning that way sorry Definitely. our our worldview and things that you know color our color our opinions it comes out sometimes and that may have been i'm not saying that's definitive but the fact that those two reports align with each other to some degree kind of shows maybe he knew what he was talking about but yeah, he sounded how... crazy back then and yeah. i apologize i apologize for just blindly you know i fall prey to that quite frequently just blindly believing one one thing over the other We all do, and I feel like that's what we try in this podcast to show people is that you can say, hey, my feelings came out on this, Yeah, and I don't agree with what I said. You know, it's- Yeah, we can go back back and say, sorry. If you're the same person you were five years ago, you're probably wrong, right? If you're the same person you were last week, you're probably wrong. In this geopolitical climate, yes. Yeah, with how everything changes yeah. so rapidly. Okay, sorry. I didn't so mean to all of that, but just, I, I, <laughs> and you'd agree that that lends some credibility to the story. Right. Obviously, yes, that so, does. How about we put more credibility to the story? Oh, geez. There were reports from the Dutch that Ukraine was planning to blow up the pipeline. Okay. And then the U.S. had warned them, do not do it. All right, so you have all of that in place. Right. What I said following the attack that I saw was there were some odd Russian naval assets in the vicinity at the exact same time of the sabotage. 
Okay, that that does kind of swing things in another direction. Right. So with that knowledge and knowing Russia, how do they not see a sailboat, quote unquote sailboat, with divers real close to that location? They would have any military would have gone up and sorry. Was go. this all in no, was this all in the North Sea? It was like in the North yep. Sea. That yeah. okay. Well, we have been in the North Sea and we can tell you from experience that it is crowded all the time. You see ships constantly. And you see them. That's what you I'm getting see, at here. Yeah, you you do you see them and you and you pass them closely and it's there's constant ships out there. So if you're the Russian Navy and you see right. a sailboat. A sailboat, yeah. Do you not go up to them and say, hey guys, what the what are you doing? Yeah. So I don't have an answer for that. Well, I'm I'm just saying, like, as somebody who has been in the North Sea and yep. traveled across the North Sea, we saw ships constantly the entire time we were there. And yep. Russian ships. And we made we tankers. did make joke. The closer we got to Russia, <laughs> my stepmom, well, she should have been my stepmom. So my stepmom, um, she was like, Putin's coming to get me. Cause she yeah. just found out that she had Russian blood in her ancestry in her DNA. In her veins. And she's like, Putin's coming to get me. <laughs> he knows that I belong there. She Hey, she loves America, okay? But she was also proud of her Russian lineage. So y'all shut up. <laughs> a proud Texan. So that should proud tell you everything Texan. you need to yeah. know. Texan. She's proud of everything. She's like, I love this part of me and this part of me and this part of me. And F you if you don't. <laughs> yep. So I love that lady. That so all of the all this whole conversation is the reason why none of the reports to me go on to the probable scale. Okay. And so I've kept my official analysis at bay until I can get verif verifiable evidence that comes to light. Because right now it's just a bunch of different people kind of releasing reports yeah. that may or may not be true. Yep. Okay. Even something like the Washington Post, which is, say what you will about the Washington Post or the New York Times, and we, we say a lot of bad things. Legacy about media, some of them, yeah. The legacy media. But their investigations are very thorough. Yeah. When it comes to stuff like this, they are very, very thorough. So the Washington Post article is not verified evidence in your opinion. No, it's not. Because the details are attributed to, quote, officials in Ukraine and elsewhere in Europe. <laughs> You're right. That's super vague. Right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So listen to the vagueness in all of this. Okay. Let's see. Because that's the most direct one, right? Officials oh, in Ukraine. That's, that's the, the most direct. Listen to the they, next Because they name a country, right? Yeah. That's why. Okay. So quote, the rest of it people is. People knowledgeable about the details of the covert operation. Uh, oh, so we don't know whether or not they're part of an agency right. or they were just swimming with their scuba gear at that point. <laughs> Correct. And so fine. So I, I try, I'm, I'm doing this. There's, there's a purpose for how I'm framing all of this. Uh, I, no, the first one is officials in Ukraine. That's the most plausible, right? That's right. the most plausible. People and knowledgeable. elsewhere in Europe. And elsewhere right. in Europe. So that means other people. Right. right. It could, it's, it's Denmark, broad, but not you so said, broad. Was it Denmark or Finland? It was the Dutch. Oh, the Dutch. Sorry. Yep, the I'm Netherlands. so sorry. Sorry, Netherlands. I love you, Netherlands. You're another fun place that I enjoy. 
And then the most vague quote was that it was attributed to people familiar with Travinsky's wow, role. That got worse as it went. Yeah. That was I was that was very purposeful. Okay. The, I appreciate the order. You're like, okay, we're gonna go with yep. the one that has the most information. Then we're gonna pull back a little bit. And then we're yep. just gonna give you some bland statement. <laughs> you'll hear the first one and go, Well, that doesn't mean anything to me. Yeah. And then you'll hear the next one and go, That means even less. And then you'll yeah. hear the third one and go, I'm done. Why am I here? <laughs> yeah, because all the information is presented and it's based on statements from anonymous sources. And that's. Well, of course, they don't want to lose their job or have their families be murdered or, you know, there's so many things at stake. Yeah, of course, they don't want to put doesn't their mean names. It's, it's not true. Doesn't right. mean it's not true. It doesn't, but it's just, but, I wish it were easier to believe statements like that, but I totally understand why people won't like fully throw their hats behind it unless there's a name that they can research yeah. and determine. And we get why you don't want to be named. I understand yeah, Oh, yeah, we totally get it. Because I still don't want my name attached to this podcast, but it's there. Uh, <laughs> Sorry. Anonymous. My anonymous I'm an, My anonymous wife. Uh, that's awesome. I love that one. Um, but the, so the Washington Post article as so as much as and if you're listening with kids earmuffs as much as i shit on seymour hirsch's article yeah we we really did this, both of us did this article is very similar to the seymour hirsch article right where it's when anonymous source when, when did we report that it was earlier this year yeah it was what february march time frame because i don't I know think babe. april alexa o'brien came back to talk about it Right. Um, it it was, yeah, it was just definitely earlier this year. And I too was behind you doing the same thing. I, and we could be right about it. We discredited it. I, I mean, the fact because that it me, aligns with it, the, but it aligns with the CIA stuff. Yeah. But to me, it looks okay. like the Washington Post owned by Jeff Bezos. Oh yeah. That guy. So it's a for-profit media organization, and I think it needed a little clickbait. Get some people to, you know, before the holiday season, did sign they, up. Did they mention Seymour Hirsch? In they did the not, article? no. That's dirty. That it man is. did all that work, and they didn't even mention him. He's the original person who posted this stuff that we made fun of. <laughs> and 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 Cy, he goes by Cy. I'll have you oh. on the podcast. I will have you on the podcast. I'd Seymour love to Hirsch? Talk to you. Yes. Oh my gosh, you should reach out to him and see if he'll, like, because, I mean, I'm not going to lie, we, you know, I don't know, we were still- Kids aren't listening super, anymore, we so still, say what you want to say. We are still super naive. We were, I don't know, still hoped that maybe people meant what they said and said what they meant, and it's amazing that it took this long for us to figure out that that's not the case. Yeah. And But we still apologize. Like, you put in- all that effort and put in all that research and you released an article and then people made fun of you for it. You were lambasted for it. And that's not cool. Cool. We, we're going to stop uh, doing that. Yeah. So anyways, before we leave this topic, 
I will give you a chance to speak more about your problem with the Washington Post asserting that Zelensky and the Ukrainian government had no knowledge that this was being planned. So, yeah, I mean, I said it before. There's no secret that writers at the Washington Post, for the most part, and I don't speak in definitive terms here, it's not everybody, but for the most part, they are pro-funding yeah. Ukraine to defeat Russia. This podcast is pro that. I'm, I, yeah, I'm pro that. Not all of our listeners are, and we we appreciate that. Hey, but you, I feel like you need to say what you said on that podcast that you got because it was like the perfect analogy. Oh yeah, just talking about how. Uh, do you want to say it? Do you want to say it right here? Or is there another place that it would be better? No, this is. This is fine. I mean, uh, we are it was, already. It was the perfect analogy, this. and I was like really impressed with you. And I was, put another baby in me right now. Yeah. So, okay. so I, <laughs> I was asked, um, and it's a podcast that I really uh, I'm a fan of, and you'll see it on our social media when it comes out. Uh, did an interview with incredible people, and they have a different opinion than us on a lot of things. Um, so they asked me about Vivek Ramaswamy and his his recent debate comment that Russia invaded Ukraine legitimately mm-hmm. because Ukrainian the, those Ukrainian what we would say quote unquote Ukrainian cities are actually Russian cities because they speak Russian they identify mm-hmm. as Russians right and they have every right to be part of the Russian state and I countered that. And that they wanted to be part of it. And that right. they were being freed right. from the chains of Ukraine. <laughs> and when you're held at gunpoint and told to vote, you're going to vote your opinion and not what the person's telling you to vote. Yeah. And That's an what? opinion of mine about what happened in those. Remember, 99% of the people voted to be annexed by Russia because oh, it was right, right, done right. at gunpoint. Right. But um, they asked me what I thought about Vivek Ramaswamy and that comment, to which I said, and I don't want to be political here, and I think Vivek Ramaswamy is a CEO of, of multiple companies, and he economically, he understands a lot of things domestically, but his foreign policy makes me feel stupider every time he opens his mouth. And he, <laughs> the comment was that those cities identify as being Russian, to which I countered with, Go to El Paso and ask 75% which of the population. We, which we've been to El Paso. We also need yeah, to say it's, that. It's a border we've town. We've been to El Paso, which we love El Paso. <laughs> and and 75% of that population will identify as Mexican, as Hispanic. Right. It is a majority. Central American. Yeah. Central they American. They speak Spanish. It is a majority Spanish-speaking city. Does right. that mean that Mexico gets to invade that area to take that back? Because honestly, they have a right to that land, right? That was Mexican I mean, we property did, we did, before we, did. we fought we did. a war. Yeah. That's why I always frame all of these as within the human standard of land. You fight a war for land, you win the war, that becomes your land. If you right. want it back, you fight another war. And if you but, invade a sovereign nation, you're wrong. That well, say what you said. Those people, obviously, they love their countries. They are grateful to have come from those countries. They will always love their countries, but they love the freedoms that come with being in America, and they don't want to be back in those countries that they came from. No, that's why they crossed the border, right? Yeah, that's why they... So, 
poor people had to friggin' fight to get across the border. And so, I mean, anyways, but according I, to Vivek Ramaswamy, it would justify a Mexican invasion into El Paso right. to reclaim that land. But those, right? I can tell you, uh, you know, knowing people from El Paso who are from Mexico and who are Hispanic, they don't want to be a part of Mexico. They have found the freedoms of the U.S. That's why they crossed the border. The but, same can be yeah. is true for those eastern portions of Ukraine that Vivek F. Ramaswamy thinks should just be given back to Russia. Because they speak Russian. Right. Because they, it's very, it you is. You can still love your homeland, but still appreciate the country that you live in. And I will say those Russian speaking people in, in Donetsk and those regions in Ukraine right. want to be Ukraine. They do not want the oppression from Putin. Yeah. So, so going away I from mean, that, let, though, let, let's move back on to I don't know where we were. No, I, I got you. <laughs> um, we're talking about how, for the most part, Washington Post journalists are pro-funding Ukraine to defeat Russia, to defeat Russia, right? Right. So, in my opinion, there you asked about why I'm skeptical about the report because it doesn't say Zelensky or the Ukrainian government had knowledge. Yeah, there's no names, right? They, the, the journalists at the Washington Post, they're not going to want to write a piece that points the finger at Zelensky because that's going to increase the calls in the U.S., especially for stopping the funding of Ukraine's military. And I think that's okay. why you brought up the Vivek Ramaswamy comment, because I do think we should continue to fund Ukraine because it is a national security uh, problem. But also, I feel like you need to say what you think Vivek, I know this is like, random and it doesn't have anything to do with this question right now but we want to say we don't completely dislike vivek ramaswamy no. like because his economic yep. stance and what, what's he's the ceo of multiple countries his domestic yeah. companies his domestic views yeah yeah i get some of his views are far right wing yeah and i think i agree with nikki haley who said the comment of every debate I think she should just keep saying this comment. The more Vivek Ramaswamy talks about foreign policy, the dumber we all get. But his domestic stuff is... He gets it. He gets the problem of your man-to-man, woman-to-woman conversation of, I just want to make money. I don't want to give all my money to all of this. The government. Without understanding that foreign policy and geopolitical events affect your pocketbook. Right. So this is the problem I have with the Washington Post report. The Washington Post is not going to write a piece that points the finger at Zelensky because he wants more money. And the Washington Post says we should have more money. We should give more money to to Zelensky. Okay. And if they do say that it was Zelensky, that's going to increase the calls to stop funding, right? Right. I think I think I think that what's going on in Gaza right now is stopping it anyways. Yeah. No, a hundred percent. We are not funding. We as the United States, not me. I have sent zero money to anybody except for my tax to, to, to support any war. I have. Um, I don't know. I feel like, like we've sent money. Oh, we have sent money to help civilians, but I have not yeah. sent any money to promote a war. Okay, okay, okay. I was about to say, what are you talking about? Because we send money. 
to, yeah. <laughs> to, humanitarian. to humanitarian. Yeah. And it's and not the Red Cross, made. guys. Don't worry. We do not we do not touch the Red Cross with a ten foot stick. Like mm-hmm. no. The Red Cross and the Salvation Army and all those people who claim to help while well, their CEOs are making millions. <laughs> right. But like, here is you asked me about why I'm I don't like the Washington Post report because it didn't call out Zelensky and it made a point to say that he didn't know anything about it. If he did know, and if Ukraine did sanction that, the U.S. would have to sanction Ukraine. Ukraine committed an act of sabotage. Right. Now, while sabotage against, so in war, sabotage against the enemy is a lawful operation. You can do that. But it was against like all of the whole of There you go. This sabotage affected non-combatant countries. Yeah, it affected Germany, especially. Ger- Germany had a lot of issues. Yeah, so if if the Washington Post put out the report and said, hey, everybody, Travinsky carried out this sabotage at the behest of President Zelensky and right. the Ukrainian government. That would be a problem. I'm going to say that's a probable theory. I'm right. putting that at probable. Okay. Oh, geez. Okay. Because of their initial, the the journalist initial worldview, mm-hmm. if they're framing this opposed to their worldview, that says a lot to me. Okay, so that would be probable. But to say that he was commanded by some high level general and the president of Ukraine had no idea that it was happening—that's a that's, tough sell for me. Yeah, I feel that as well. <laughs> but okay. So it looks like we didn't completely nah. solve the case of the pipeline sabotage, but nope. at the same time, it but it still put things in different perspectives for yeah. us. So let's get to the other huge news of the week. Of course, I am talking about the meeting between U.S. President Joe Biden and Chinese leader Xi Jinping. We briefly touched on this a few weeks back, and now it actually has happened guys i know we talked about it that it wasn't we were like i don't know if it's even gonna happen yeah we thought something might happen maybe joe would forget to take his um oh his meds (laughs) (laughs) sorry guys i was gonna say his fiber (laughs) but he needs it Hey, we all need fiber what are you talking about hey she is 70 he still needs fiber too so well so so what can you tell us about that meeting? And did this meeting improve relations to possibly prevent the global war that everyone's fearing? Let's be wow. honest. I think you know the answer to that. But this was the geopolitical event of the, the week. The geopolitical event. I think yes. there are seven yes. articles now with my name on it about dude this. the fact that you keep bragging about yourself and your hey, media presence to, no one else will i say that this is the geopolitical event of the week the two largest economies that are the biggest military adversaries get together and they talk right that's what happened biden and g publicly acknowledged acknowledged competition between the u.s and china but they emphasized responsible management to avoid conflict i like that we saw progress made on counter-narcotics efforts, try to quell the fentanyl crisis that's going on here in the U.S. No, it's not going to quell anything, but okay. I uh, I appreciate you 
your I'm just being like the they, same as mine. They, these are this is just like these are just words. They're not going to do anything. Yeah. And I'm, they aren't I'm just going to do anything. Trying to present it as how they presented it publicly, right? Well, I'm here to be. I'm here to bring people back to reality yeah. because now, I mean, it the... sounds nice. They uh, there's talking about obviously the topics that are at the forefront for both countries. Yeah. Those those were those were what they decided to cover, but it was just so vague. It didn't offer any actual um it didn't offer any tangible. solutions. Any tangible solutions to these problems. They're just saying we're going to work on yeah. it. And literally thousands of people die of fentanyl overdoses every day. But that's fine, guys. Well, it's one of the fine. tangible things I will say mm. is that they reestablished military communities. But That's a did big they, one. or is that just now? Them if you remember, yeah, if you remember during the the balloon, the spy balloon crisis, that was fun. The Secretary of Defense tried to call the Chinese counterpart, his Chinese counterpart, and his Chinese counterpart did not answer. So the two agreed to reestablish military communication. That's big. They. They also agreed to address the risk of advanced AI systems. And if, you know, if we are adversaries in the U.S., if we are adversaries to China, I think we can all be adversaries to Skynet. So, I really hate how much we've had to mention Skynet in the last yep. few podcasts. Because it's coming. I hate it. You guys, we really are going in that direction, and it's very scary. Um. I'm trying I'm trying not to get the tinfoil hat. So I haven't bought tinfoil in a long time. We I'm haven't. Wear it. We don't buy tinfoil anymore, do we? No, because I'm going to wear it. Well, stay, hey. Stay hey. out of my mind. Hey, um, I just want to support you. If you need tinfoil, we'll buy tinfoil. It's yeah. fine. Well, the two leaders did exchange views on their regional challenges. Okay. the Indo-Pacific. Right. Um, they want a free Indo-Pacific um, defensive allies. Now that's kind of a, Taiwan is an ally to the U.S., so there is no compromise on that. And then also the commitment to human rights. Now President Biden, U.S. President Biden, raised concerns about the PRC's human rights abuses, their unfair trade policies, and the detention of American citizens in China. So that's what he wanted to bring to focus to Xi. But it was not covered? No, not at all. So they just ignored it. They just ignored it? What they really wanted to highlight was the importance of people-to-people ties. This is something that you and I talked about offline a lot during COVID, is that we need to come, you know, all this virtual stuff is not going to to cut it. We have to have face-to-face physical communication with each other. And I think Xi and Biden agreed on that. But- they didn't address any of what Biden wanted to bring to the forefront at all. No, but also they, they addressed he climate should... action. That's a big one. Oh, That's by the way, not a big China one. I feel like humans. I feel like humans. I feel like humans and unfair trade policies, and then the detention yeah. of Americans are something that could have been mentioned, could have been talked about, could have been. Well, but also the continued diplomatic efforts for their U.S.-China relations. Okay. Well, Those are the big you ones. Know. Okay. Well, we tried. 
We tried. So that is the public stuff. Do you yep. have any information about what may have gone on behind the scenes? Yeah, well, one thing the media picked up uh, that wasn't really, I guess it wasn't really, quote, behind the scenes, mm-hmm. but it was, was a comment made by Joe Biden to the press after Xi had left. Okay. So Biden Which was is asked. It easier to, like, let your opinions be yeah. known when you do Because it's kind of like that scene in Love Actually. Who I love this. It's built where it's um, Hugh Grant, who is the prime Mm. minister of Great Britain. And then it's, um, what's his name? It is, uh, I want to say Tommy Lee Jones. I keep wanting to say Billy Joe, but that's not his name. Billy Billy Bob Thornton. Billy Bob Thornton. So he's the president of America. And they have a joint press conference. And initially, Billy Bob Thornton comes out and he says all his American things he's going to say when he's in this press conference with the Prime Minister of Great Britain. But then good old Hugh Grant comes in and swoops in and chastises. Chastises, but doesn't directly chastise. Like his, he is, the language is very flowery. And, but it still puts him to keel. <laughs> so you know what's funny about that? Because you okay. don't know about this. No, I so don't I'm going to tell you about anything. this. I don't know about anything. Because <laughs> you know, I said I was I had made comments to journalists about the meeting. Yeah. Um, and this quote wasn't used in one of the articles, the five articles that was used. But like, I did oh my mention. God, dude. I did you mention about it, yourself so much today. <laughs> I'm saying all of that to tell you that I did say that the meeting between Biden and G to have, let's say to have either one of those make a, a huge statement that train changes the entire trajectory of geopolitics would not okay. happen. And it would be on the same. I, I brought up that in exact love actually seen to the person who was asking me oh because, really yeah We're so I, I find it I hilarious that you bring that up i because, did like that's weird because we have not talked about that no and I it wasn't ha- put I'm in any of the articles i'm high-fiving you through the the camera but what i said was that works for drama and you understand this it's very yeah. dramatic it works for drama but it would not hold up in the court of public opinion because there's so much nuance going on on the global sphere. Right. That um you know the Hugh the the Hugh Grant character would have been chastised by half of a population and then the and then yeah. he would have been praised Amer- by the America other half. would have been like, yeah, even though he was perfectly in his right to yeah. say that. Okay. But we so did anyways. have a comment from Joe oh. Biden. Okay. He was asked by the U.S. media if he still con- if he still considers Xi as a dictator. Yeah, and he did reiterate his assertion that as he since Xi is the unopposed leader of a communist nation, he s- is still classified to Biden as a dictator. Okay. Well, I know that didn't play well in China. Yeah, it's, and it's <laughs> I'm I'm like that. <laughs> it did not. Of course, and, it didn't play well in China. And the Chinese media did run with it. But also, do you remember what the comment was that Xi said that was the most vague yep. comment ever? I do. I'll it, paraphrase it, it here. 
Okay, yeah, you, you're gonna. It was the most non comment I've ever heard ever from a leader after meeting with another country's leader. It was the most non comment. Yeah, and I believe it was. So Xi was the vice president of China at the time. Yeah. And everyone expected Xi to become the president. And so this was 12 years ago. Biden met with Xi as the vice president of the United States. No 12 one expected. 12 years ago? Oh my God! No one expected Biden to be the president of the United States. Now no they get to meet. No one wanted it. Well, actually, people <laughs> wanted it, but I didn't want it. <laughs> but the the two met twelve years ago, okay. and they discussed that. They said, "Oh, look, you know, we met twelve years ago." And G kind of made the comment of, "I rem." So, a going framing this from the knowledge that Biden is eighty plus years old, and yeah. he does have. He doesn't have all of his mental acuity. Is that Which, a good term? Why for it? is he our leader? Right. Okay. I felt that this comment was a jab at Biden's mental acuity. Well, it probably was. And he said, I remember that meeting 12 years ago. This is his quote. I do remember it now. This is not paraphrasing. Okay. I remember our, our meeting 12 years ago. I have a lot of thoughts about that meeting. Leading me to believe that's a dig at Biden saying, Xi says, I actually remember our meeting. I don't think you do, but I do. And I have a lot of thoughts about that meeting, which is very vague. What what are your thoughts about that meeting? I would assume his thoughts were, this is a crazy person. He knew that was going to stir the pot. That's why he left it that way. But anyways, I didn't realize that it was... um, uh, a quote from or a quote about him reflecting on his first meeting with Biden 12 years ago. Yeah. Which the fact that you just said 12 years ago <laughs> that's a problem for me because yeah. I feel like I am like 15. So we um, are mentally probably, mentally definitely actually. So. But you asked how yeah, yeah, you, yeah, well yeah. you you didn't ask. You said I, I just I just remember that quote that it didn't play well in China. Right. Um now even during the talks, Xi told Biden that the Communist Party actually gets an unfair negative view within the United States. Okay, well, Xi is not wrong. At least during our childhood, the communist and socialist political regimes worldwide were definitely vilified. Oh yeah. And it also looks like Biden is continuing that rhetoric. Do you think, even after those comments by Biden, that this meeting was a success and we could possibly see improved relations? I don't think that there was any hope that this meeting would provide a breakthrough in relations. I do believe it was a moment to gauge how both leaders view each other. So nothing that I've read jumps out as a key moment to improve relations. As for the agreement on the fentanyl crisis, actions are going to speak louder than words there. Now, what I'm saying is, if China actually quells the fentanyl crisis, then I think we should have better relations because actions speak louder than words. Now, what I think will prevent a preemptive conflict is actually that restart of those military-to-military communication. Can you explain why that's important? Yeah, so the the PLA, the People's Liberation Army, that's the Chinese military, and the U.S. military have for years 
been in a standoff in the Indo-Pacific. Every month, there are air-to-air intercepts. That's to the tune of 180 air-to-air intercepts in the last two years, more than a decade's worth of intercepts. Having military-to-military communications can prevent a mishap or even a miscommunication at sea causing an international incident. So if the phones are truly open, that's a good sign. Well, I know there will be more (laughs) about this meeting as more information is released, and the Need to Know newsletter will have a full analysis, correct? Yeah, it's it's going to be... Let's talk about ourselves for a minute. But that is what the whole newsletter is going to be about. So Monday morning, those your inbox will be in will be filled with all the details. But it's also going to be filled with what it means for future relations. So definitely sign up for that if you feel led to. <laughs> definitely. You can go into the show notes and click the link to sign up. But sticking to the talk about the Chinese Communist Party, a recent report detailed how China is using the world's largest known online disinformation campaign to harass I'm putting that in quotes, harass Americans. What can you tell us about that? Yeah, look, so it's not just about harassing Americans. It's about changing the opinion of Americans. You asked that at the beginning of the podcast. Um, Also, don't let me forget about the latest trend on TikTok, which the Chinese Communist Party is manipulating to win hearts and minds for terrorism. Wow. Okay. Well, let's start with the harassment campaign first. But I do want to get into that trend you were talking about at the end of this. Start by explaining the disinformation campaign, how it is harassing Americans, and then maybe you can shed light on how Americans can protect themselves from these misinformation campaigns. Yeah. So, so the def- disinformation said campaign. Yeah. Well. <laughs> The disinformation campaign is known as spamouflage, so disin, I don't know, campaign, that could fall into it. I think it's known more in China as Dragon Bridge. Uh, it represents a systematic effort to harass Americans, actual, um, like, not just Chinese dissidents, but Americans. So the not op- not just, like, Chinese nationals that are here yeah. or... No. Okay, so it's literally just about misinforming people in America. Yeah, the the operation involves hundreds of thousands of social media accounts. Okay. Across all cool. the major platforms, aiming to indim- intimidate and discredit U.S. U.S. residents, politicians, and businesses, not Chinese dissidents. The attacks are highly personal. They're highly malicious. Uh, they include threats of violence, character assassinations, and it's it's through tens of thousands of social media posts. So the intent is to induce fear and paranoia. The victims, from journalists to pro-democracy activists, have been subjected to insults, racist and homophobic slurs, even cartoons meant to demean, demean and intimidate. The harassment even extends beyond the virtual, the social realm, social media realm, with some individuals reporting offline threats, that's in, that this indicates a coordinated effort to silence dissenting voices against China and instill a constant sense of fear. And if someone was dealing with these obvious troll-like threats, what can they do to combat it or protect themselves and their families? Because we know that is an issue. 
Yeah, no, so that's a great question. There's plenty that someone can do. Now remember, you're not alone. Let me I I get that if you put something out and then there are hundreds of people that attack you, you're not alone. And the quicker you can identify the personal attacks that they are part of this quote unquote spamouflage, the easier it is to combat it. So as always, first of all, stay informed about disinformation tactics. Listen to us. We'll we'll put those out there. And then be critical of the information that you encounter online. First of all, we say this every week, verify the sources and cross-check information before accepting it as true. Even from us. Yeah. Like, uh, we don't know everything. We're just reporting from the sources that we know, but maybe you find another source. And right, it goes back okay. to, to your opinion does matter. And if you take both sides, competing sides of a topic, and form your own opinion, that is where you stand. And I appreciate that. But when when you verify the sources, you cross-check the information, Include, like Tiana said, including what we're saying, that's going to protect you if you're being attacked. Uh, it can also come in handy if you're trying to defend someone who is being attacked. Yeah, so that is one that our audience is very familiar with. What about their actual social media accounts? What should people be looking for? This is especially, uh, it's especially true. Did you just say especially? Yeah, there's an X there. No, there is not, sir. I do not agree with that. I've been talking all day today. Sorry, guys. Um, It's especially true for LinkedIn accounts. So if you have a LinkedIn account, please listen. I say regularly review and update your privacy settings on I said LinkedIn, but all social media platforms. Be cautious about accepting friend requests or actually engaging with suspicious accounts. Tiana, you're very good at that. Uh, You won't find me anywhere. (laughs) Yep. Everything's on private. And if you actually add her, she is going to go look at your background. And she has a husband that is very good at identifying where you're at. I literally don't add anyone unless I've known you for a couple years. So, sorry. (laughs) Well, you have also shown me accounts that say that they are military and have had me cross-reference what they are saying with the fact that they're not really military. They're actually a Chinese bot looking to get information. Well, I mean, I wasn't going to add somebody I didn't know. It's just mainly just look at this person who tried to add me and they're lying to my face. (laughs) And and as you know, there are a lot of Chinese and Russian bot accounts. I mean, I don't know what bot accounts they were. I just knew that, I don't know. It's weird whenever it's literally like an old looking dude and then a bunch of young women that he's added. And I just want to be like, you're wrong adding me. I'm not a young woman anymore. I am middle aged. (laughs) But you understand that those accounts are trying to obtain information from you or corporations. I I have like nothing on my Instagram page. But some of our listeners might have these accounts come in, even though they say, well, I'm just some low-level employee. Yeah, I'm sorry. I I didn't mean to imply that I was doing anything better than anybody. I'm just very private. I don't like... I think everybody should be that way. Well, no, it doesn't matter. 
like some people enjoy putting their lives out there and there's nothing wrong with that. It's just not my thing. And also I know my life is not that interesting. <laughs> well, you say that. So you, I love that you just said that. You say, oh, well, God. my life's not interesting. Uh, and no, I, I feel wanna, like I don't want to talk about like the Intel perspective. Of course, no. they'll be able to pull information from, but it's they're not pulling information from my life for anything about me. It's literally if they're pulling information from my life, it's because they're trying to get to you, not right. me. But you could be a low level employee and say no one cares about what I know. But you might be privy. Are to you some... are you aligning me with low level employees? Not like you. People that no. clean up crap. I do do that, but f I'm you not, too. I am not f you. aligning you're aligning, you with that. No, that's exactly what you just did. And I don't. What think I'm, I'm trying talk to say to is that no, you're you're done. You are some done. Some people may think <laughs> I don't have any inform. There's no information that the Chinese government could get from me. But you may have some proprietary information that you well, don't understand you well, have. Well, no, I, I do understand that from my life in Homa. Well, your dad did know a Chinese spy. so Yeah, he was the ten. Was he the tennis or golf? Yep, the pro? tennis. I can't remember. I don't know. I just remember my dad being like, he was so nice. <laughs> I don't understand. Because it was like a big thing in Homo when he got arrested for spying for China. Yeah. And that's what a spy like, wants you to I know. I don't understand. I don't understand. I'm like, dad, it's okay. So while you think you may not have <laughs> proprietary information, you actually do. Just these like it's not it's a good thing I don't talk to anybody ever. I would say don't talk to anybody you don't know. Um but that does but the, at the same time, like a lot of these people are playing the long game. Yeah. So they they recognize that people might be a little um standoffish, may not want to open up to them, and they are there to kind of butter you up. Yeah, that's what I'm and, talking about. Okay. Okay. That's what it's looking for. So I'm what I'm really just saying I'm is really bad at like Well, all I'm saying is uh, there's I'm sure there are a lot of people out there who think I don't have any knowledge that the Chinese government or the Russian government or Iran or any of adversaries would want to have. Right. But it's not the fact that you personally have information. It's the fact that if I can get a little bit of information from you to lead and a little, you to the person who does right. have the information, right. yes, and this is something that investigators do for clearances. When in the U.S., you want to be, you want to have a clearance. You give. I so talked you have to, to give, a total of four people, maybe. Right, because you're my wife, and so I would put, I would put you at the top of my list of people to go talk to. Right? Oh right. Okay. They're not going to go talk to you and try to get information about you. They're going to talk to you and say, who else do you know? This is such a long episode and we're so sorry. But at the same time, it needs to be talked about. If you if you have to listen to it in bits, we totally get Please it. Please do. Yeah. Uh, so what I'm just saying there is that okay. it's not. So during my investigation for a clearance, it's not about the personal people that I interact with that first level um personal relationships that that have i've never been in, interviewed for you they Is have come to the thing? house no they have come to the house you told me about this no 
they, I, I've been interviewed for my friends' um, husbands, but yeah, I've never been interviewed for you. Our oldest, remember, our oldest has had their teacher interviewed about me. No, I didn't remember that. Yeah, while well, I was in Afghanistan. Um, that's why my clearance had sort of a discrepancy because I was in Afghanistan. And um, they. I don't remember a teacher being interviewed. I have never, I've been interviewed one time for somebody else's husband. That's what they want oh. because they don't care about your friends, they care about your friends, friends, friends. That's who's really going to tell them who that, yeah, that's really going to tell gonna them honest. who you are okay okay this went off on a tangent yep. and i we're sorry about that sorry that most things but it's important off on a, okay well we need to bring it back because we have literally a lot <laughs> to get through yeah what if people feel overwhelmed can they go to law enforcement or is that a bit too far for online harassment even if it seems like it is being directed by a government entity i mean if if it's just a one-off like bot account friend request (sighs) i would suggest reporting that account don't engage with it do not accept it obviously I'm very good at not accepting yeah. friends requests from people I don't know. But if you're facing severe threats or harassment, definitely reach out to law enforcement agencies within your own country. We have the FBI. Other countries have their own. So Am screen- I whatever? Right. Am I whatever? I don't know. I don't know what the numbers mean. So I didn't want to just put a number out there and then be like, that's an interstate, stupid. <laughs> you, you could talk to Interpol, right? That's European. Um, I would suggest screenshotting every interaction. And then okay. you give that enforcement aid, that law enforcement agency, those interactions within, with the account. Um, but I want to reiterate, <clears throat> do not engage with that account. Well, thank you for that advice, but now I want to get into this trend you have identified where people are starting to change their tune on terrorism. Yeah, so... Terrorism did exist, guys. Sorry. This has been an ongoing effort by the Chinese Communist Party Mm -hmm. to increase anti-Western sentiment. We've seen it in Africa. We've seen it... Uh, in various and European, it's working. It's working. Oh, it is. Too. It's working, especially in... with the younger generations. Yeah, who it... weren't there, who weren't present for a lot of the stuff that we went through. They, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And this particular yeah. one stems from Bin Laden's letter to America following the attacks on September 11th. So okay. this is two thousand two. I, I want to say that we are ushering in a, a generation. We know we have children. Yeah, we are ushering in a generation. All of our, all of our babies were born per, post nine eleven. Yeah, and they have no firsthand accounts of nine eleven. We do. You and I do. It's very like, um, Vietnam vet kind of thing. Yeah, we don't understand Vietnam, right? We don't understand Vietnam. You and I don't. We, no, we don't. But we appreciate the fact that. Everyone there, almost everyone there, they were drafted. They had no choice. They lived in a free country, and it was the country's right to draft the young men there. Even if they didn't agree 
with what was happening. And it was heartbreaking whenever they came back from that war that didn't need to happen and it shouldn't have happened because it didn't freaking result in anything. Right. Like they were torn apart by people, ripped to shreds. We actually met somebody at um, Piccadilly. Piccadilly, which I, I don't know how many people know what Piccadilly is, but it's like a southern cafeteria-style restaurant that I grew up with and Curvin grew up with, and I have a lot of really wonderful memories about it. And we ha- I haven't been to one in, I don't even know how long, 10 years at least? It's been a really long time. All I know is that my parents loved the place. My second parents loved the place. We found one. One of the only, it was in a very scary closed down mall, but it was so delicious. Anyways, what I'm getting to is the man behind us, he was a Vietnam veteran and he kept thanking Kervin for his service over and over again because I don't know how he knew that Kervin was in the military or anything. He didn't talk about himself until I mean, we my started haircut asking. and my mustache. Oh, of. so we still okay, that may have been what it was, but um, we immediately started asking him about himself, and he's like, Yeah, I'm a Vietnam veteran, and you could see him kind of pulling back, knowing that at that. That is a divisive issue for a lot of people. But he didn't want to be there. He had to be there. Like, why aren't people taking that into consideration? Whether or not he wanted to be there or not, he was drafted. That's what a freaking draft is. And so... And that's, he, like, part part and parcel of communist. Yeah. Like, what the communists were trying to push within the American government was that... This was an ill-fated war. It should have never happened. And right. you can still, be- I mean, you can believe that and not be opposed to U.S. anything. Uh, there's a lot of people who are opposed. But what we're trying to say is being opposed to people who were drafted into it, who had no say in the situation. No say. They were I've- literally forced by their governments to be there. And and that's like kind of like the difference between between... The what's called the greatest generation, the World unless War II you veterans. Joel, unless you were Joel Kinnaman's father who ran to Sweden. Which, you know yeah. what? Good for him doing what he had to do, I guess. He didn't agree with the the conflict, and instead of staying in the con- country and um, feeding off that country, he went to another country. Yep. I know y'all don't know that, but I know that because... One of our kids used to be super obsessed with Joel Kinnaman. I'm not going to say who, but they were obsessed with Joel Kinnaman, and they knew all this information. <laughs> but yeah, so all I wanted to say was don't don't engage with the account. Don't interact with the account. I'm, and also, Oh my God, this is going to be such a long episode. No, it's already a long episode. But oh, there, I know. this week's, I mean, this is two weeks, so we didn't put out an episode last week. So we're that's kind true, of- that's true. We're combining two episodes. Combining two weeks, yeah. Well, let's get into this trend you have identified where people are starting to change their tune on terrorism. Yeah, so so this has been an ongoing effort by the Chinese Communist Party to increase anti-Western sentiment. So it stems, so this, what I'm talking about, stems from bin Laden's quote-unquote letter to America 
following the attacks on September 11th. Now, uh, I do want to say that we globally are ushering in a generation without the firsthand accounts of 9-11, those attacks. All Um, of our babies are obvious. Our baby, like the people who experienced 9-11, their babies were born after that. Yeah, of course. And our babies are now reaching adulthood. Yeah, so the impact of the event has waned in recent years. Right. And this, Which is usually what happens. Yeah, it is what happens. And, and this is coupled with anti-colonialism campaigns we've seen in Africa. Right. Um, and they've really had an impact on how people feel about the quote-unquote West. And it's impacting how people perceive terrorism. Well, why do you believe that it is the CCP that is leading this campaign and that it is not just some organic change of heart? Because I've seen an organic change amongst younger generations, which I'm grateful for, to be honest. As I always say, two things can be true at the same time. Okay. And so I think one actually leads to the other. What I mean is... Let me start with the the CCP question. This okay. all started through some known bot accounts on TikTok and Twitter, or X as it's being called now. I'm going to keep calling it Twitter. Yeah. As we know, that's also going to bleed into um, old people TikTok, as it's known by us as Instagram. What's interesting to me is I started seeing the trend in talks about the war between Israel and Hamas. There's a flood of accounts that promote uh, resist through violence, this mantra that's justifying what Hamas did on October 7th, um, because violence is the only way to succeed in taking down that evil Israeli occupation to resist by violence. And and so while the, the way of the attack was carried out may be gruesome, it's justified because Israel and the West is bad. Right. So, so what I'm talking about are the conversations asking for peace and, and the stop to the humanitarian crisis, um, the protection of civilians. That's something we all need to get behind. Um, but the reason, so yes, re, you know, it says resist through violence, but I think we should come to a peaceful negotiation between both Israel and Palestine, try to find a solution to protect civilians. Right. But the reason I say two things can be true here is when you are inundated with this content every single day, one sided content, which on TikTok, China is promoting a one sided content, your opinion may shift. Your personal opinion may shift. And so it may seem like this is an organic shift to your opinion. So then an individual starts posting that same content that they're seeing. And then it becomes a viral moment. And that is what you think is happening here. I still don't get how you're equating this to a change in opinion on terrorism. I mean, maybe people just have a different view on what terrorism is. Yeah, I mean, of course, that's true. People have different opinions. If you were to ask a Palestinian about terror attacks, they'd point out the terror being inflicted by the IDF, right? But in this instance, we're talking about the 9-11 attacks and a letter to America published in 2002, 11 years ago. And that's the, that's the last time it was posted, right? Yeah, it was not published. 
11 years ago? What are you talking about? Our 2002? Daughter 19, our daughter is 19 years old and born in 2004. Yeah, she's older than 11. Oh, I'm sorry. 19 yeah, years ago. What the heck are you? What do you mean 19 years ago? 2002 minus 2023 is 19. I don't agree with your math. Or is it 21? I don't know. I'm not doing math here. I don't agree with your math already because you're just But we're in 2023. Yeah. This was published in 20 in 2002. Our 2003. daughter was born in 2004. She's 19. This is 21 years 19. ago. Yeah. So you're saying yeah. Yeah, okay. my math is wrong. Fix fix your math, buddy. Yep. But it was not republished by the Guardian. So it stayed at 2002. And they also did take it down within the last three days because of the content that's being produced. So what content are you talking about? Because I know you aren't on TikTok. And I don't even think you scrape information from TikTok because you feel as though it is another media arm of the CCP. Yeah, you're right. I, I don't. But, but this was picked up by other social media accounts. And so what's happening here is even those within the U.S. are creating content that says the U.S. actually deserve to be attacked because the U.S. is the great evil. Uh, resistance by all means is justified due to colonial. These are their words that they're saying on these videos. Well, the resistance by all means, violent means is justified due to colonialism pressing its thumb on emerging economies in the global South. The reason I think it parallels uh, some content about Israel Palestine is that people have jumped on a few quotes from the letter. Uh, one being, this is a quote from bin Laden's letter. You continue mm-hmm. to support the oppressive Israelis and their occupation of our Palestine in response to pressures on your administration by a Jewish lobby backed oh, by geez. enormous financial capabilities. That's an exact oh, wow. quote from the letter. Okay, so how do you know it is successful, though? It could be a couple accounts having an existential crisis and taking to TikTok. To express it. But at the same time, like, they have a right to have emotions, too. You're right. But, but, and it very well could be. Okay. That all of these accounts are just having an existential crisis. This is organic. Uh, but this has now transcended TikTok, uh, made its way to Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Every video explains the exact same crisis how the letter changed their entire view of the U.S., the war on terror. Uh, It's all framed by what's happening in Gaza right now. That's how they're framing it. And it isn't just like a couple of accounts. These are thousands of people who have posted similar reaction videos across all social media platforms. What's interesting is that each video uses very similar terminology. Um, That terminology is, these are quotes from multiple accounts. I read the letter and I am going through an existential crisis. That's the exact quote that every single account uses. I feel like that's people normally. (laughs) Yeah, well, what's concerning to me is we've reached the pendulum swing from, remember we said never forget. Yeah. That's sort of a, uh, that was a Jewish mantra of the Holocaust, right? Was Never that forget. a Jewish mantra? I just thought it was like yep what? from from the Jews after the Holocaust. They said, "Never forget. Do not forget." We use the same one for nine eleven. 
do not forget what happened. Do you think that was on purpose or? It, it might have been. It was definitely, it was prop. Not definitely, I mean, but it was all, probably. I mean, our governments are all here to manipulate us. So, right. I mean, that makes and sense. That's <laughs> what these accounts are saying that the pendulum, okay. and, and so the pendulum swings. Well, I from haven't that, forgotten. Never forget. Now, yeah. what's going on is we, we justify the violence against even my own people, the American people, the Jewish people, based on a history of grievances. Right. So do you really think that U.S. citizens are okay with another 9-11 style attack on U.S. soil? I mean, yeah. I mean, we, we, we just said, like, according to these videos, I think that U.S. citizens are okay. But that, that's why I wanted to highlight the ushering in of this new generation. Um, they I... weren't personally impacted. And it was terrible, though. Yep. We sat in class, right? In our in school, I had already decided to join the military, which is wild because I literally thought you joined the military because of the attacks. No, it's part of the reason why my mom was like, "Do not join." Well, of course, I would I would have been that way too. Yeah, Fifi, I agree with you. I would have been that way too. Don't join. I love you. Stay here. Like, of course. Yeah, those attacks made it very real that we as U.S. citizens aren't always safe. Yeah. I would say it's a misstep for any group to carry out a major attack on U.S. soil. This new generation will change its tune very quickly if you attack U.S. soil. It's very similar to what's happening in Poland right now. There's this older generation of Poles that are very worried about the Soviets ushering in a new communist regime. Right. They remember how terrible things were before the 90s. But what I wanted to say was the, the newer generation in Poland, the younger generation, they have a more positive view of communism because it was it hasn't directly impacted. But, but I feel like it has because it's still been going on. But personally, it has not affected them. They see like bread lines and things like that as something that's been official because they have not had to stand in a bread line to get food. Right. Right. Okay. So that's why I said they're, they're not directly impacted by it. Okay. So you really think that an attack on us soil will change opinions and that we won't see more of this, the U S deserved it rhetoric. I think my personal opinion is Adversaries of the U.S. are hoping to change the narrative so much that it won't matter. And so an attack is going to lead to the fall of the United States. But like I said, that that's going to be I a misstep. I love how hopeful this is. This is yeah. like so hopeful. They're hopeful. Like we're, but at, we're in the downfall of our country, according to you. You're I mean, in the midst of that. Not just me. Um, but I do say that that would be a misstep. Because there's a difference in saying, we talk about this all the time. You and I have discuss this offline all the time there's a difference in saying how you're gonna react during an event and then the way you actually react in that situation so i honestly never thought i'd have to say this out loud unsarcastically but terrorism is bad okay it's indiscriminate it doesn't care if you agree with the cause it says you are evil based solely on where you are living and it's mainly about your religion though it it is and if you take yeah, if you take religion out of it, maybe we can solve some of these problems. But I don't know but that any of those accounts would see the death of their friends and family. Love their as gods. That's true. 
they love their gods and you know that's the whole point is you're supposed to love your god so i do think though that they love their friends and family more and if they see the death of their friends and family they're they're not going to consider that as a warranted attack so you think this is all because the people from these accounts have not been personally affected yeah i have no doubt that that that's the case it would happen to you and me you know oh i'd never I was never affected by that. So maybe we have a different opinion. It's going to be weird when we start bringing up things that didn't actually affect us, like the first Gulf War. I mean, my uncle went, my uncle was in the first Gulf War. Don't get me wrong. Um, Well, look at the Vietnam War. That did not personally affect us, right? You and me. Well, we, I had a lot of friends whose dads yeah. were part of the Vietnam War and they were treated horribly, which I friggin' hate. Because they didn't want to be there. They were told they had to be there. And even yeah. if they wanted to be there, it didn't matter. Like, they were friggin' drafted out there. Buddies. Yeah, and so, so... hateful. That's part of what happens when you live in a country like this. But I... You I ha- okay, sorry. sorry. I also think that you could find a few of those accounts of people who were affected personally right. by it. Right. And they have the same... Idea. Of course, yeah, litters. Yeah, that, not that's litters, the exception. Like, that's right. not the rule. Of and look, course. I'm not going to keep my opinion to myself on this. If of course you, not. If you read Bin Laden's letter, and a lot of these accounts are pro-LGBTQ accounts, and they're, they're allies, in the letter it says that homosexuality is one of the deviances of the West. So, y'all, read the whole letter. Read the whole letter. If you're going to support something, you need to read the entire document. You can't take parts of the document and force it to fit your narrative. It's got to be the entire document. Yep. Because Because you're feeding into propaganda. Yes! It's it's similar to me if someone would, you know, they would say, listen, Hitler... He was the worst. But you know what? Mind comp, that really had some great yeah, ideas. Yeah, that made sense. No. That's ridiculous. No, no, no. It makes me want to never use social media again. That's what all this does. Oh, because, I'm sure they're so sad that you're going to leave yeah, social media. One person, right? But it's being weaponized. Well, I'm sorry for this abrupt change, but thank you, Kervin. Is that all for this week? Yeah, I know we were supposed to try to get into the Military Influencers Conference. We're going to have to do that at a different time because we're almost two hours into this. Oh, my geez. Unless you had anything more to add, I'm done. No. Thank you so much for listening to our tiny little humble geopolitical podcast. We hope you found it both informative and engaging. If you have any feedback or suggestions for future episodes, please let us know. And if you would like in-depth coverage of these stories and more, follow us on Instagram at Oakland Analytics. Tiana, thank you so much. And until next week, stay safe out there.